Good morning. So Paul Borthwick is an author and a consultant focused on leadership development in the under-resourced world. He served as a professor of global Christianity at Gordon College and as an associate with InterVarsity Missions. On a visit to Beijing, China a few years ago, Paul attended church with four young men who were relatively new to the faith. The service was, went, was in Mandarin, so Paul understood absolutely nothing that was being said. But it seemed to him that the pastor's message was a bit boring. The pastor was soft-spoken, stooped over a bit, and never seemed to express any excitement about anything he was preaching. So after worship, Paul asked these four young Christian men, is your pastor a good preacher? And they exclaimed, oh yes, he's a great preacher. He spent many years in prison for Jesus Christ. To these four men, what spoke to them was not his ability as a speaker, not his giftedness as a pastor, but his faithfulness in suffering. What spoke to them was not his ability as a speaker, his giftedness as a, as a preacher, but his faithfulness in suffering. Why? Because suffering has the power to transform us. Now we have talked a lot about suffering over the past few weeks, and we're not done. And maybe sometimes we simply don't like how suffering is dealt with in uh, the pages of First Peter or in other parts of Scripture, or perhaps honestly not dealt with. We'd rather Peter or whomever show us how to end suffering when more often than not they seem to be teaching us how to endure it. And they even seem to value it at times. Last week in chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, Peter reminded us once again of the importance of being willing to suffer for doing good. Last week and this week, the suffering Christ is our example. He suffered, he died, he was raised, and then he ascended and now sits at the right hand of God. As Peter told us in verses 21 and 22. Now, Christ Jesus reigns over everything. All creation must submit to him. Angels, fallen angels, authorities, powers, governmental, supernatural, systemic, all of it bows to Christ. Also, with Christ firmly established, vindicated, and victorious on our behalf, Christ is Lord over all. Knowing all of this, Peter exhorts us in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Arm yourselves, Peter says, but not with weaponry, not with swords and spears and shields. Rather, arm yourselves with the promise that in Christ we too will be victorious. This is the same mind, mindset, that Jesus had over in Hebrews 12, 2, where we are told this. For the joy set before him, Christ, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. With what then did Christ arm himself? The joy set before him. The promise of victory. And the pleasure of doing God's will. Peter says that we are to have the same mind about our suffering as Christ had in his suffering. What would it look like for you and I, whatever we're facing, to arm ourselves with joy? With the promise of victory? 
and with the pleasure of doing God's will. By whoever suffers in the body, literally the flesh, Peter most likely means those who suffer for Christ, those who have come to faith in Jesus, Christians. And so we, Christians, we are the ones who are done with sin. That's what he's saying there. Because we have come to Christ, we suffer. Those who suffer are done with sin. But it does not mean that we no longer sin. No, we we are done with sin in the sense that by faith, we have been transferred from the realm of sin and death into the realm of life in the Spirit. Therefore, sin no longer has the same power over us. We're, We're done with it. And we're free to live a different way. Because ultimate victory is ours, we are free to live differently than we lived before. We no longer have to give in to our selfish human desires. We're done with sin. We're free to live according to the will of God instead. There's even a sense, as strange as it may sound, there's even a sense that to stop sinning in some area is a kind of suffering in the flesh. Maybe you've heard the statement, sin has its pleasure for a season. That comes from an older translation of Hebrews 11.25, which speaks of Moses leaving Pharaoh's house. I mean, he had it good there. He leaves Pharaoh's house behind in order to suffer with his people. Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. An ancient Hebrew proverb from the Talmud puts it this way, Sin is sweet in the beginning, but bitter in the end. Sin is sweet in the beginning, but bitter in the end. And to be done with sin, to deny the things that we used to indulge, is is a kind of suffering. It's a kind of suffering. A suffering in the flesh. It's like kicking the habit of smoking or alcohol or, or drugs. To do so is to suffer. However, in the end, the more done with sin we are, the more we get to experience a new kind of life. As the Apostle Paul says over in Romans 8, 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You can even hear in that a sense of suffering. You put to death something, and then you will live. Back in 1 Peter, the author says that uh, they, his, his readers, can be done with sin because of what Jesus has done for them. And they can be done with sin for another reason, which, frankly, I find kind of humorous. Verse 3 For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Why is it better for you to suffer in the flesh by denying what used to satisfy you? Because, Peter says, let's face it, you've already sinned enough for a lifetime. Let it go. Move on. Because Christ suffered for us, Because Christ rose from the dead, because Christ ascended and sits at the right hand of God with all authorities and powers and all of creation in submission to him, we are no longer bound to our old way of life. We are no longer bound to our old way of life. We we have been set free to live instead according to the will of God. St. Augustine of Hippo, who lived from 354 to 430 AD, has had a tremendous impact on Christian theology, theology right down to today. He wrote in his uh, spiritual autobiography called uh, Confessions that before coming to know Christ, his prayer was, Lord, give me chastity and self-control, but not yet. (laughs) Say what you want about 
the rebellious nature of a prayer like that, but at least, at least, Augustine understood what it meant to fully enter into a relationship with Christ, to align himself with the one who suffered on his behalf was to be done with sin. Again, it doesn't mean that he or we will never sin again. It means that sin is not our motivation. Sin and the, and the pleasures of sin are not our primary driver in life. Sin is not Lord of our lives. Jesus is now Lord of our lives. And that means not only that we can be more and more free from sinful habits and attitudes, it means that even when we do sin, God's grace is sufficient for all of it and for all of us. Just let me say it one more time. Not only can we be more and more free from sinful habits and attitudes, but we know that if we do sin, God's grace is sufficient for all of it and for all of us. But here's the thing. If we sin as much today as we did before we came to know Jesus Christ, we've missed something important. If we sin as much today as we did before we came to know Jesus Christ, we have missed and missed out on something important. God doesn't save us merely for fire insurance. God saves us that we might become more like Jesus in the world. Likewise, if we sin less frequently now than when we came to faith, or if in three years from now we will be sinning less and less frequently and less intentionally than we are today, It will not be because we've kept all the rules. It will not be because someone is holding us accountable. It will be because we are being transformed into the image of Christ. It will be because of who we are becoming. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our mission at ECC is to become a community of people who know God, follow Jesus, and pursue God's purposes in the world. In a sense, it is not enough to come to faith in Christ and stop as if that is the end of the journey. That's just the starting line. We were made for more The goal is to follow Jesus. The goal is to become more like Jesus and to be transformed by the love and grace of Christ and ever transforming. Our ECC touched on a transformation. One of our top three values is represented by a cross-shaped star. The cross part is about a cross-shaped life. What, What Jesus means in Matthew 16, 24, when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That, too, carries with it a certain understanding of suffering. The star speaks of a statement the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians chapter 2. After calling his readers to have the same servant-hearted, humble mindset as Jesus in their relationships with one another as, as sisters and brothers in Christ, he urges them to practice humility and to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do these things, Paul says, and then in, chapter, in verse 15 so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the literally cosmos 
as you hold firmly to the word of life. When we are transformed by the love of God in Christ Jesus, when we are ever transforming by our intentional partnership with the Holy Spirit, we become like stars in the universe. We give light to the world, and our presence then bears fruit for the kingdom of God. That is, when we are becoming more and more like Jesus, shining like stars in the universe, we can be present to our neighbors and to their needs. And that presence is our third ECC touchstone. This is, a, this is the place where we pursue the purposes of God in the world. We, we strive to love our neighbors in word and deed. That's what it means to be present. And so we pursue our own spiritual formation. We, we learn to live differently than we did before and differently than most other people around us might be living. But those among whom we used to do these sinful things do... They do not like what we are becoming. They don't like who we are becoming. Our our transformation is at best annoying and a killjoy to them. At worst, they perceive us as judgmental and condemning them, even when we're not. And so Peter writes in verses 4 and 5, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. More literally, they are surprised that you don't join them in their flood of debauchery. Flood language may be intended to remind us of the bit about Noah earlier. Your former friends keep diving into this flood of sin and rebellion, and because you no longer join them in these things, they abuse you and they mock you and they malign your character, or worse. And then because Peter, God bless him, couldn't leave well enough alone after last week's challenging passage, he decides to throw in one more weird statement that I have to try to explain. Verse 6. For this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What does it mean that the gospel was preached to those who are now dead? Can the dead respond to preaching? I'm tempted to make a joke, but we'll move on. (laughs) And it's all made a bit worse by the reality that the word that I put in brackets now, it's in the NIV, but it's not in the Greek. So if you just read it straight, it sounds worse than it does with the now in there. The now is added because it's implied. Most translators believe it's implied. In other words, it's not that the gospel was preached to dead people. It's that the gospel was preached to people who were living, who embraced the message of faith, and now they are dead. You've got, you got to realize, this stuff was written 2,000 years ago in another language, and uh, it's not easy for the best of interpreters and scholars to figure out how to, how to translate it, how to interpret it. The gospel was preached to the living who embraced the word and the message of faith and now they have passed on. While they were alive, they suffered judgment from unbelieving friends and family and neighbors. They were judged by faulty human standards, by people who persecuted them. But because they believed the word about Jesus, they are now able to live according to God in the Spirit eternally.
This is a word of encouragement for us who suffer at the hands of unbelievers and persecutors. We too will be judged by other people for living life against the tide, for swimming upstream, but because of Christ and because of our allegiance to Christ, we can live in the Spirit now and eternally. When judgment day comes, we will be prepared. In the meantime, Peter says, before God puts all things right, we suffer when necessary and we endure. We arm ourselves with the same mind, the the same attitude, the same way of thinking as Jesus did when he suffered and died and rose again because guess what? We will suffer and die and rise again. And we live differently in the meantime. We live differently than much of the world around us. Earlier in the children's message, we saw a little bit about the Apostle Paul imprisoned in Rome. He was in prison when he wrote several of the letters of the New Testament, Ephesians and also Philippians. Letters that to this day continue to teach followers of Jesus the world over how to live and and how to do God's will as individuals and as a church. Those letters were written by someone who suffered. In Paul's letter to the Romans, for example, he speaks of this path of suffering and where it leads. Since we have come to peace with God through Jesus Christ, we can now, Romans 5 verse 2, we can now boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not just put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, the New International Version does us a bit of a disfavor with the word glory appearing twice there. The glory of God and the glory in our sufferings. It's actually two different Greek words. The glory of God is the splendor of God, the beauty of God, the character of God, the nature of God. The glory in our sufferings is really about boasting, rejoicing, in our sufferings. Once we embrace Christ's invitation and choose to give our lives to him and choose to to follow him, once we have pledged our allegiance to Christ, suffering takes on a new meaning. It can have spiritual power in our lives. Because we have hope in the character of God, we can rejoice in our sufferings. We can rejoice in our sufferings because it produces perseverance in us. And perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Suffering is always transformative in one direction or the other. But Paul wants us to move toward hope rather than despair. Now, lest we think that Paul is just kind of in denial, all pie in the sky stuff about this suffering, let us remind ourselves, again, of the place from which he writes. This is a, uh, there's a famous verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It is often translated as, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is a a verse that I was taught in my early years as a Christian to to memorize as a way to talk about what I can accomplish because Christ is in me. The things I can do, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's like a superpower. But look at the context. Paul is in prison. Just prior to this verse, Paul acknowledges that at times he has been in need. Things have not always gone well. Roman prisons were were no picnic. 
The Roman prison system did not care for the needs of its prisoners as ours do today. Paul might have had some provision given to him because he was a Roman citizen. But for the most part, Paul relied on the gifts of others to sustain him and encourage him. After mentioning the Philippian Christians had recently shown concern for him, probably in bringing him food and maybe some supplies for ministry, because he was able to entertain people at times. Paul wants them to know that he has learned to be content in any circumstances. So he writes, the fuller picture of Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That, that last sentence about doing all things refers to the suffering he has endured in prison. Sometimes he has plenty. Sometimes he lacks what he needs. Sometimes circumstances are going well. Sometimes not so much. The phrase translated as, I can do all things, could also be translated, I can endure all things. I can be strong in all things. I can prevail in all things. Paul's statement, which again, we often quote as a reminder of the things we can accomplish because of Christ's strength, is really about enduring difficulty and prevailing at a time of great need or suffering. This verse in the Common English Bible translation was of particular help to Kim and to me at a time when we were dealing with a painful family situation. The the Common English Bible puts it, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Peter calls upon us to arm ourselves with the same mindset as Christ Jesus, to suffer well, to be done with sin, and to live in the Spirit. To suffer well is to endure and to know that our suffering can lead to our transformation. It can produce perseverance, character, and hope that does not disappoint us, does not fade away, does not put us to shame. To be done with sin is to partner with God in becoming more like Christ, to engage in the practices that make for transformation, to spend time in Scripture and in prayer and in service, in community with one another. To live in the Spirit is to know where all things are headed and to trust in God's ability to take us there. It is to live on this earth in the meantime in confidence, in joy, and with a heart that is yielded to the will of God every day. This is one of those difficult passages to land. I went home late yesterday afternoon and I said, I can't find a way to land this thing. So I ask you this, where in these statements do you find yourself? Are you suffering something you need to endure? Are you struggling with sin? Sin that you'd rather be done with? Or maybe you're not struggling, you're just giving in. Or maybe you haven't learned to trust in the Spirit and lean into the Spirit as you should. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for our brother Peter and for all those to whom he wrote. And I ask, Lord God, wherever we might be in these things, wherever we might be struggling or people we know who are struggling, God, would you give us faith to lean into the the reality that we can endure because you are with us. 
that we can live and walk by the Spirit because the Spirit dwells within us. And that we do know that in the end, we will be victorious. Lord, give each person here what it is they need to take the next step. To more and more see your work at work in their lives and in their relationships. Give that same, Lord, grace to us as a congregation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.